Matt Dwyer here, and I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. If you wish to become a bigger part of the world of Conversations with Dwyer, go to themattdwyer.com slash shop and purchase a T-shirt or a phone case with the Conversations with Dwyer logo right on it. It's that little head, round head thingy. Uh, that was created by Charlene Yee. That'll help support the podcast and spread the word. Also, you could become a Patreon subscriber. You could also find that link at thematwire.com. For $5 a month, you get extended interviews, video versions of the interviews. You get bonus episodes, all kinds of extra content, sometimes blogs. And there's different tiers, but the $5 one definitely is, I think, affordable for everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Please support the podcast. And now let's listen to this episode of Conversations with Dwyer. Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is entitled Bonnie. It is from the album Asymmetry, and it is from the band Cuffed Up. And my guest today, as you could probably guess, is from that band, and it is Ralph Torafranca. I don't know why I took a long pause there. Maybe I felt like Harold Pinter for a moment. Um, as I mentioned, that's out on Royal Mountain Records, October 22nd. In the show notes are all things Cuffed Up. So please um, purchase the EP. Support them. I know it comes out on vinyl and digitally. I'm not 100% sure on cassette. I didn't look into that. But in the show notes, you could go to their band camp and figure out which option you want to purchase and do it because it's important to support music. Uh, Ralph is a great guy. We had a great conversation. And, you know, I know I just plugged my Patreon but um, there is an extra 40 minutes of conversation with Ralph on my Patreon as well. You could watch the video. You could watch the video or the audio if you want to look at his handsome face. And it is handsome. He's a handsome fella. I'm not. But you could just, like, close one eye and look at him and not see me because it's a split screen there because of Zoom. So just close your left eye. You don't see me. You see Ralph. I think that's a f- fair thing to do. Uh, by the way, that song, Bonnie, I really like it. I really like this band. I've been, my friend Todd has been telling me about them for a very long time. And so I listened to him a very long time ago, which would be a couple years ago. And, uh, I've wanted Ralph on the show for a while, so I'm glad this happened. Um, also, I know I'm, I, I don't know if I, like, in my pre-show intro where I plugged the Patreon, I'm not sure if I plugged merch, but if you go to thematdwire.com, I have merch at thematdwire.com. Uh, Also, if you go to kellyrdewire.com and you need a website, she can do your website for you. She does my website. She does My Favorite Murder. She does Ologies. She does Exactly Right, which is the network that hosts My Favorite Murder. So if you need a website, email her off of her website and say I sent you or the podcast sent you. And you guys can talk about what you need and get get yourself a podcast uh, website and a network. You can do it. I believe in you. Start a network. Um, I think that's it from me. Buy shirts. Buy my shirts. Support Cuffed Up. Become a Patreon subscriber. And more importantly, not more importantly, but today I learned, today I had a haircut appointment and I was going to go get a haircut. And then I got really fucking nervous and anxious because I didn't want to leave the house. Because, you know, we've been in a pandemic. And then I realized I've become agoraphobic. I've gone from, like, social anxiety to full-blown agoraphobia. And thankfully, my barber canceled. So I didn't have to leave, even though I have a fucking nest of hair that looks like I'm trying to start a grunge band in 2021. I do. And, you know, maybe it's just my own judgments and stuff, but I'm sort of at an age where I feel like I shouldn't... uh, I shouldn't have long hair. Is that weird? I mean, like, if I was in a band, I think it would be fine, but I'm just some schmuck on the street, and I don't look cool. And I'm always wearing, like, dad shorts and sneakers. And, like, not the cool sneakers, the comfortable dad sneakers, because I'm a dad, and once you have kids, you're just like, I'm not going to be cool. I don't have fucking time to be cool. I'll be the fucking dork in cargo shorts, even though I don't own cargo shorts, for the record. But I wear a lot of sweatpant-type, you know, dad shit. I'm not proud of looking like a dope, but I look like a dope, and it's who I am.
That's that's it. Anyway, well, enough of my ramble bamble. Let's get on to my conversation with Ralph Terrafranca, Torafranca, from Cuffed Up. I grew up in in Santa Barbara, so just uh, an hour and a half north of LA. Um, yeah. I don't think I've ever been to Santa Barbara, even though I've been here for 20 fucking years. Really? It's, I mean, it's, it's like heaven on earth. It's kind of like the Spanish. That's why they call it the Spanish, um, Riviera. When you look at, when you look back at Santa Barbara, it looks like Spain. It's like this beautiful Spanish small town, but the problem is it's such a small town. So, you know, there's really nothing to do apart from either starting your own little (laughs) business or something, or, or you're going to UCSB and you're drinking or you're, you know, smoking or whatever. So it's kind of limited. So I, I, I needed to get out. So I've, I've been in LA though for four, 14, wow. no, 13 years, 12, 13 years. Is yeah. it Santa Barbara? A lot of old people. Yeah. 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 It's a much older, it's an older community. Is it, is it a <laughs> so, lot of, yeah. is it a lot of people who move there to retire? And then like a guy like you grows up there and you're just, it's got, is that the kind of a surreal I don't know. Yeah. It seems interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely it's the retirement place. It's the college place. So UCSB is a big college party place, but that's strictly just, you know, at UCSB. And then uh and then the the third group of people are the folks that um what is it? The folks that end up just like living up li- growing up there and just never leaving essentially. <laughs> is that so. kind of strange as a young guy who to grow up in, especially if you started having ambitions of like, not like creative or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I decided what I wanted to do when I was like, I, I literally decided on my path at 15. Like that was my decision. It was (laughs) at 15. It is weird because you know, most 15, I mean, no one figures their shit out until college really. And even after college, you don't know. Right. I was the same way. Like I was exactly like I could, I could take you to the exact spot where I was like, I'm going to do this. Dude, was yeah. that how it was for you? Yeah. I have the exact spot in the exact moment. <laughs> I, I tell, I tell the story all the time and it's, I, uh, my high school was having a, um, a, what was it? A career or a job shadow day. It was a job shadow day. And they gave me the, the really nice counselor gave me a book and it just didn't have anything I was interested in. And then she was like, do you like music? And at that point I was like 15 and a half and they're like, yeah, yeah, I love me. You know, I, I listen to all these bands, um, UCSB, they have a program director. It's this college kid, but he, you want to shadow him. There's a show happening tonight. And I was like, Oh, I've never been a show. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Let's do it. So I meet up with the dude at UCSB at this place called, uh, the hub. And I show up and in this guy named Ryan is like, okay, so you're running hospitality. And I'm like, what the fuck is hospitality? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that is. And they're like, you're going to take care of the bands. You're going to help them park their, their buses and stuff. And then, and then, you know, we'll go take care of them. I was like, okay. And he's like, okay, so the show tonight and he's flipping through and mind you, this is like circa 2005, 2006, like MySpace days. Uh, Academy is hello, goodbye, panic of the disco and acceptance. And at that point they were my favorite bands on this planet. So and you like, had no idea. I had no idea. I had no idea that they were playing. I was like, Whoa. And it's my first show ever. So I, I met them. I helped them like get up in their, you know, their green rooms. Uh, I watched them sound check and then Ryan was like, okay, go ahead and pick a spot out front. Um, before the doors open, you can watch the show. I was like, Okay. And then I did. And I was amazed. I was like, this is, I want to do this. I don't know how, but I want this to be my career at some point. Like, this is what I want to do. And then, uh, and then that night I was sitting on the steps at UCSB waiting for my mom to pick me up and I'm like, okay, I'm going to find a way to work in the music industry. And then the next day I quit my job at Carl Jr. I'm like, I'm quitting my job. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to go do something. And then, uh, and then a week later I walked into KJE, which is like the largest rock station in, you know, the tri counties. And I walked in and, you know, at that point I, I just turned 16 and I walked in and I was like, uh, I want an internship. And they're like, you have, <laughs> how old are you? And they're like, I'm 16. And they're like, you have to be 18. And I'm like, 
I have to be 18 and make coffee and run for run you burritos. No, like I, I want to work for you guys. And they're like, Oh, you're annoying, but come back in two days. So I came back in two days and then I convinced them to hire me as a intern. And then four months later I got hired as a DJ. <laughs> Holy shit. That's incredible. What's, yeah. all, what's also incredible is you're like just the, uh, confidence that you had at 15 to be like what like you didn't take no for an answer that's really fucking impressive yeah i think i was just desperation just like (laughs) (laughs) desperation confidence you know one of the two (laughs) yeah i mean it's pretty interchangeable but i mean at that point too i was in a band and then i was so i started being in high school but then i was also a promoter i i actually started booking shows at this place called jensen's main stage in santa barbara was an all-ages venue and they gave me a couple like one or two nights a month so I started booking there and started dealing with agents. So that was kind of my whole thing. And, um, so I, but the thing is like, I was also, I was always in a band. I was always a songwriter at the same time that I did the industry stuff. So that was like gonna always parallel with what I was going to do. So before, so. before you saw panic at the disco and all that stuff, you already were yeah. playing in a band. And so you were already sort of getting your feet wet. I was, yeah, I, I started the band after I saw the show. Oh, okay. So, I was, yeah. Yeah. What were you, had you already been playing at least, or were you just like, no, at that point I, that was my first show. So it was like, I saw, I saw the show. I quit my job, joined, I got that job at Carl's Jr. Um, I started a band cause my girlfriend broke up with me in high school naturally. And then I <laughs> I wrote a whole, uh, I wrote a whole like EP about it. And then, uh, yeah. And then I grabbed my friends who knew how to play instruments and we're like, Hey, let's start a band. And then we started this band. And, um, but that was essentially all at the same time with, with the radio station and then, and then being a promoter at the same time. So that was, that's wildly impressive. Yeah. So I've been pretty ambitious about this. Was there anything you could remember, like when you're seeing that show, what sort of things struck you as like, I want to do this? Yeah. I I mean, seeing, it was really the opening band because they were the band that I saw first. They were called Acceptance. And um, just the way that they commanded the stage, the way that the lead singer was just like, you could tell that they were comfortable, more comfortable, honestly, in, in on stage than they were off stage when I met them earlier. And I was like, that kind of feels like that kind of feels right to me. That was something that genuinely connected with me. I was like, I, I would like to try that. I want to, I want to see if this that actually works. And if this, you know, if maybe this type of lifestyle um, connects with me, because at that point I, you know, I'm 16, I'm searching, I'm searching for what makes sense to me. And I tried, I tried being a wrestler in high school. I, I tried being a jock, did not work out. I got injured super badly and I had to quit. Um, I tried, you know, I tried poetry. Like I, I still love poetry, but I wasn't, you know, necessarily a poet, but that eventually led to the songwriting side. Cause luckily poetry is songwriting. And, uh, and, and that was it. And then, so when I got, when I started the band and I, and I tried it for the first time, I was, I was terrible, but I was like, I like this. It feels good. This feels like a natural place for me to be. And then that's where it, where it started. Yeah. How did the, cause I did the same thing where I was like, all my friends were jocks and I just didn't fit into that. Like just mentally, just the whole too much testosterone, like aggressive thing was just like, not, my, <laughs> but I like yeah. tried. Yeah, me too. I mean, I tried super hard and there's some nice people on that wrestling team, but you know, really the toxic masculinity is really what ended up driving me out really ultimately because it was just super unhealthy. And, and, uh, you know, I didn't realize that until later, but like, I'm this emotional songwriter poet. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I didn't, you know, at that point I was just flexing. I was like, yeah, I'm a wrestler. And then, and then I got injured and I was like, no, I'm not a wrestler. This is, I don't, I don't belong here. (laughs) Yeah. What was like, do you recall your first, stage like experience like the first time you played in front of somebody yeah 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 it was uh oh man it was it was the high school talent show at my high school in santa barbara and uh we me and my best friends who are not musicians mind you maybe one is the rest of them are not musicians (laughs) and i convinced them i was like guys we need to enter this we have to like it'll be cool and we're sophomores this will be like, they'll make us look really good. And then 
Uh, and then at that same year, I met um, a guy that was younger than me named Skylar Bible, who's still one of my best friends. And uh, I convinced him as a freshman, I was like, you need to play with us. And I'm like, okay. So we covered um, a band. Uh, we covered Death Cat for Cuties, uh, Crooked Tees. And we played it in front of everyone. I, there's, the video still exists. <laughs> I, I sound terrible. We sound terrible. But but there's something about it when we play. And I was, I was terrified, but terrified in like a really good sense. Or the first time I challenged myself in life. And I was like, I, I want to keep trying to get the, good at this. Not like anything else where it was like wrestling or whatever, like where I just wanted to quit. I was like, I, I don't want to get any better. It's not worth it. But this, this is the thing. I was like, I, I want to put my time into this. I want to go write my own music and, and not play other people's songs. And, um, but yeah, so that was the, uh, that was the impetus, uh, of the whole thing. And we played for the first time and people were very nice to us. <laughs> I, I listening back oof, was, uh, it was rough. <laughs> yeah. I, that's wild. Cause I had like exact similar, like I just, I did a talent show and no way that, that, well, it was like, I was, I formed a sketch comedy group knowing nothing about <laughs> except for, <laughs> you know, from watching it. So, yeah. and I stole some shit because that's what you do when you don't know what the fuck you're doing. But right. Like that, that rush of like being in front of people was just like, I, I don't know if they, if they put that in a syringe and put it in my arm, I think I would be like on the streets. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it, that, that kind of like, that kind of like X factor of a feeling, you know, that's what all of us people in bands and, as artists or performers, like we're always chasing. That's why last year was so tough for us because none of us could get our fix, <laughs> you know, like we, could, <laughs> we couldn't get our fix. And, and then at some point you get numb to it. And then, you know, it's kind of like, uh, it's like someone who has been taking drugs for years and then they start, you know, they go cold Turkey and they're, uh, what is it called? Like going into withdrawals or something. But, uh, but then now, you know, shows are coming back. Some shows are starting, and uh, it's almost just like, okay, cool. Awesome. I'm glad that it's finally coming back. It's not like the same feeling that we had, you know, when it first happened last year. And last year was so tough because we had, we had a whole South by Southwest like tour booked and we had like a whole run booked and uh, we were going, you know, we were going to just do the whole thing. And we were already like opening for Silver Sun pickups for a bunch of shows. And we were just kind of like on that path and then everything just stopped and suddenly you know we weren't allowed to play any shows and it was you know just a very very dark <laughs> dark place i don't know if it's too early in career stuff to ask this but like you know like when you first start doing it and that you're hit by that just that adrenaline and the pure fun of it has that because you all seem a little bit more biz savvy than definitely me <laughs> like because you have like you already were working like on both sides, which is really interesting to go into. Yeah. Did that, it, did that feed you at all? Like how to approach like moving forward as a career from having booked shows and being a DJ? Yeah. 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 I mean, it, the, the funny thing is like what I made a decision on in high school was not to be in a band. It was always just going to be something I wanted to do. And it was always a pipe dream of mine, but um, my decision was I was going to be a manager. So what am I going to do? after high school, I graduated. I went straight to LA. I was like, I'm just going straight to LA. I ended up at the agency group. So, you know, the most cutthroat, like part of the industry is the agency side. And I had to witness that for like seven, eight months and realize like, Whoa, people are fucked up. <laughs> it's like really fucked up. And I, I was like, I need to, I need to find my place and I'm going to try to get every single job imaginable so from there like i started working at this place called the knitting factory it was like learning how to do sound and lights i went on tour started touring on in the summers so i was touring a lot and then uh and then i was working you know working for for tv shows like in the music department like on uh, conan i used to work for conan oh, cool. well you know a lot of the conan writers Oh really? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're awesome and hilarious. Uh, the comedy world, I, I, I was slightly adopted into that world a little bit during that time. And then, um, but then I also became, you know, I became publicist. I was uh, a and R I was independently in a and R for a long time as a manager. Like I literally did everything until today where I'm, um, my, you know, my current like day job gig is I'm, I'm a and R I'm the senior head of a and R at a publishing company. And 
luckily it all works super hand in hand because it's all about songwriting and and that's you know my biggest passion in life is songwriting so um it's it's it, it all kind of feeds into each other so i'm kind of lucky in that sense is that how does that work let's say like now you're dealing with a label and other like other people are doing the jobs that you've done is it hard yeah. to find a balance on how to be like no 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 or yes yes <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. i mean it's an oh, interesting yeah. dynamic that you because you've been all of it yeah and there's a lot of the process for me has been a lot of just learning to let go and trust and you know normally i'm the person steering the ship but like now I'm in a democracy, right? So I'm there with, with four of the people who all have equal say. And then we also have a manager who, you know, has 20, 30 years on me, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> and is in is so talented and knows what he's talking about. And then suddenly we have a label who also are very, very knowledgeable. And, you know, uh, I only have experience up to a certain extent, but because it's my career and because it's something that, you know, has more like these vulnerable weights attached to it. I have to, uh, you know, I've had to learn to kind of trust and let go, which is great. I, I think it's, 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 per that's why a team exists. And that's why I love, I love everyone in Royal mountain. I think they're like the they're nicest on this planet and, you know, our manager is great. Our agents are awesome. It's just like a very, very, very good, good hearted team. Is it yeah. when it starts getting into the business, because uh, this is what I started to ask earlier and then we veered into some things, but yeah. to keep that, because that's the th thing is like, as I got more along the line it, into business aspects, like a lot of the fun and why I got into it, and this could be my mistake, I lost a sense of that. Is that something you remind yourself of or like have caught yourself? Because it's hard not to, man. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's the struggle every single time. And uh, even when me, when me, Sapphire, Joe and Vic started cuffed up, like our first thing was like, let's not forget that we're having fun. Let's not forget like why we started this. We started this because we're all, we all love hanging out with each other. And this is just an excuse to hang out with each other. <laughs> and, uh, and now, that, and that's been kind of the reminder, even as it's become more serious, as more things have popped up as more, you know, as more strategy and marketing and whatever has, has come into the fold. Um, it's just a constant reminder that, you know, we're human beings and we, we just, we love each other and we just want the best for each other. And we're doing this all for the right reasons. And that's the, uh, you know, if you don't remind yourself, it, it's such a slippery slope. That's why there's a lot of people that make really bad business decisions. That's why people like, you know, that's why people don't have careers anymore. That's why it's a very toxic thing because, um, you start to get very OCD obsessive about it and you just start to focus just purely on some sort of success versus like, you know, uh, being humble and like enjoying the fact that you are doing this as a career, or at least you're trying to, and you're, you're doing this for the right reasons. Yeah. It's interesting to me because when you see a band or a, artists like go down the same road that so many have done before i'm like did you read any uh biographies well you like because it's always it's kind of always the same thing and i'm like i mean i'm a example of that too i made a lot of mistakes and you know this stuff the boozy <laughs> you all do right <laughs> but like i'm like uh, you know and i guess when you're young and you're having those things put in front of you it's hard like i'm amazed that there's bands that have shelf lives of 30 20 years, 10 years are like amazing. Yeah. And that's why, you know, that's why it's slow and steady wins the race, to be honest. Like the people that are, that hit really early, really fast, like they don't have, especially when they're super young, they don't have the right tools to make the right decisions. Even if you have a decent team around you, because, um, because you haven't been there, you don't have the life experiences to compare anything to, and you can't, you know, fabricate that. Um, that's why right now, like I, I'm so thankful that our band is starting to get stuff happening now at age 31, because, you know, 10 years ago, I would have been such a dumbass with like my decision, <laughs> you know, I, it would have come completely from, you know, not a, not, not a good place. And I would have just been trying to go up really fast, you know, in a very quick amount you, of time. Did you have some things along the road? Cause like I had ego checks, like things where it's just like, you're like, I'm doing it. And then life just goes, 
boom. No, you're not. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like that help. But that game just gives you perspective. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I have that every week. <laughs> <laughs> Always. And uh, it, the more and more the band, you know, hopefully gets some sort of success and we're able to do this more and more as um, more and more for a living is I, I, I want to be able to have those types of checks in place because, you know, again, the, the most humble people, hardworking people who stick it out and just focus on the work, I feel like are the ones who have the 30 year, 40 year careers. You know? Yeah. It's wild. Like I, I interviewed Wayne Coyne early in the year and I oh, was yeah. like, I asked him, I was like, if this happened when you're 20, like, you know, cause it, soft bulletin i think he was like 40 yeah it happened much later in life yeah and he was if i was like if that kind of success hit you guys early does 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 your band have that life and he's like no we'd be done (laughs) 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 which is like and you know he's always had from what i can tell at least there's a humility to him and i think that's i think that's really key and i think i don't know like i even feel like people i even like bono i think has this sort of like it's about the work aspect and that's i think that's really important yeah it's true and you could tell with his son too as the his band is doing really well and getting success but like you could tell they they were like we didn't get any special attention we started exactly in a fucking <laughs> garage no one saw any you know no one knew who the fuck we were we just played all these shitty gigs and they just started working on it the way that and i'm sure bono was like I'm not helping you. You need to just do this yourself. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are you, cause I saw a thing where you said something about how being a death cab fan led you to U2, I, th- I believe. Are you a U2 fan or were you at some point? I'm, I'm a, yeah, I, I, I like U2. I, I'm more of a death cab fan. Um, death cab for cutie. who has obviously just been, you know, kind of like a big, a big inspiration for me, at least at the beginning when I was trying to learn how to songwrite and saying i think someone on two other people the other day texted me or at least i got it from a thread where they're like you sound like ben gibbard on on that new song i was like do i (laughs) I damn it (laughs) i didn't put that together okay great but i mean two people said it so obviously there is a little bit of truth to that and uh and all i could think about was like yeah it makes sense i mean um me and joe from the band actually the way that we started this is our third band together. Um, the first band was a cover band. It was a secret cover band called Expo 86, which was a, uh, secret pop-up death cat for cutie cover band. And, uh, we would show up and play shows around town and, uh, and people would come out and we'd play an hour, hour and a half long sets of death cat for cutie songs. And that was me and Joe's start. So there's a little bit, there's death cab did actually have a role in this, this whole band in a weird way. Can but. you sound pretty like him if you want to? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's spot on. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've I've nailed it, and not not even me trying. I'm just like start singing myself. I was like, yeah, I I sang all these songs and throughout high school, like it kind of makes sense, and I love it. I, I think it's still it's fun if when I you could do it. Started your own songs and stuff. Did you have to start thinking along the lines of like, all right, I can't sing. I got to change the way I sing or did you, cause I like, there is it when you're young, you do emulate quite a bit until you figure out your own thing. Yeah. I mean, at that point it was already later in life. So I, I, I was confident in being, being able to just kind of sing. And I was pulling from influences from very non death cab places, which is why, you know, which is why I'm in a post-punk band now. <laughs> uh, but uh, at that time, making that transition into doing some other, another band with Joe, it was, um, yeah, I definitely had to be like, okay, I'm not in a death camp band anymore. <laughs> like I mean, I wrote the song. It's a completely different. We're in a different vibe. When, when did you start like moving towards post-punk and like, who were some of those bands that influenced that? Yeah. I mean the, so 2018 is kind of where, uh, where it all started because I, I think, uh, earlier in that year, I think February of that year, um, my, our friend Kenny was opening up for this band and he was like, yeah, they're from the UK. They're sleeping on my floor. Um, you should come see them play at the echo. I was like, yeah, sure. So I came and saw Kenny play. It was great. And then I waited around, almost left, but I was like, nah, I'll stick around. And all these kids were there. I was like, Ooh, this is, this is cool. I have no idea who's playing. And then this group of five UK, english dude kids walk out one is wearing cowboy hat 
and they start playing and I'm, my mind is blowing up. I was like, who the fuck is this? And it's a, it's shame, the band shame. And I'm like, Oh my God, it's post-punk back. Like, is this, is this finally happening? And then they play the whole set and melted my face. And I was like, this is <laughs> fucking brilliant. And then, yeah. And then like I went home and I started writing. That was the night I started writing. I, I think I wrote the, the riff for small town kid like that, that night. And, uh, and that was it. And then I started writing demos and then, that year was, I asked Joe, I was like, Joe, <laughs> I know we've been in very different bands, but do, do you want to play loud, fast, like post-punk music? And he's like, fuck yeah. I was like, all right, let's do this. Um, and then we asked around and we met Vic through a bunch of friends and we started playing. We played, uh, we, we just kind of wrote and rehearsed for six months and just, I was convinced I wasn't going to sing. So I just played guitar and um, yeah. And then it wasn't until we started looking around for someone, um, in that fall or like, does anyone know a singer? Uh, no, not anyone was the right fit. And then, uh, I th- I, it was, uh, I think I posted something on Facebook one day. I was like looking for a singer. And then the next day I went to this brunch with, for a, a good friend of mine named Shab. And then I heard someone talking about, um, shame and, and Fontaine's DC and idols. And I was like, all the bands I'm listening to. So I, t- I turned around and it was Sapphire and, uh, and me and her hit it off. We started trading off like notes about guitars. Cause we obviously like, we actually model guitars a lot from a band called Foles that we really love and, uh, found out that we love the same English rock bands. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Like the, just the randomness of this person sitting behind you or whatever. Like it's crazy how that shit works. It's yeah, the universe, the universe really, I, and we talk about it all the time. It is doing some magical things for this band because like the way we met Vic was recommended through our friend, Joe Pepe, who met him a week before. It could, so that changed, like if I asked him within a week it, uh, and changed, like we would have never met Vic. And then with Sapphire, like it was just total chance. And it turns out that we've had the same friends and been in the same circle for years and just never met each other ever. And that was a time that it happened. And, um, yeah. And then we played, a me, Joe and Vic played this like kind of secret show under my name to, to kind of just show Sapphire who just came to the show and watch some of the stuff we were working on. And then we started the band at the beginning of 2019. So that's, I don't know. I'm always like amazed, like when bands come together that way, cause there's like, you know, it wasn't, you didn't take an ad out in the LA weekly or some which never seems like anytime I see those ads, I'm like, this doesn't sound good. <laughs> yeah. Or Craigslist. Yeah. It's tough. It's uh, it's not, it's not the necessarily the best pool of people. To try to... <laughs> yeah. I dated a woman a long time ago and she would answer those ads and go, and I was just like, God, that's just, that almost seems worse than dating. Like I'm going to go play with some people and like, it probably seems grosser than just having empty, weird, uncomfortable sex. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, it honestly is because you're compromising, you know, you're, you're comparing your music taste to someone else. You walk into the room and it's obvious based off of like what they're wearing and, and, you know, what they're playing, like what kind of music that they're into. And you realize like, oh, we're not the right fit. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Uh, did when do you, I wanted to go back because when, did you just move to, when you moved to LA from in high school, how old you were 18? 18. Yeah. I was just curious, like how did you have connections? Did you know people or were you just like, fuck it, I'm going? I had zero connections. <laughs> Always impressed yeah. by that. Yeah. I had, I had no nepotism. I had no, <laughs> you know, and I, I know plenty of people who, did, who had nepotism and, and you know what, they used it in, in the right ways and whatever it works out great for them. But for me, my, my dad is a, has a, PhD in physics and my mom is an engineer. I'm like, they're the farthest you could get from music, uh, like a music house. So when I, um, when I, you know, moved to LA, I was like, okay, I'm going to network my ass off and I'm going to just try my best and, and just be really, really ambitious about this and show everyone like we're work super hard and just show everyone like, I want to do this. I want to be here. I will sacrifice sleep. I will sacrifice my time and my life to actually do this. And Luckily, everyone kind of paid attention and gave me the right chances because they saw how much, how dedicated I was to it. So, you know, like even, even when I was at 
I was at a company called Red Light Management at one point when I was actually working there, another point when I was just an intern. But even when I was just an intern, I convinced, you know, um, what is it? My friends were managing this band called Local Natives. And I was like, I will do anything for them. <laughs> like, I have merchandise experience. Let me run their merch. So like they would let me run their merchandise at shows and, and stuff. And I would, you know, I worked with them whenever they needed any help. And then that eventually led to a phone call where it was like the same manager who called uh, their day to day called me or my friend Vanessa called me. She was like, you have, are you, you're taking classes, right? I was like, yeah. I was like, so you're, you have school this week. I was like, yeah. And she's like, can I, can I steal you for like a week or two? And I was like, for what? And she's like, um, I need someone to tour with, uh, other lives. They're opening up for Radiohead. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. Fuck school. <laughs> I literally, I was like, I'm going to make this work. So I did. I literally like made, made that work. And the next day I'd like drove, started driving to Seattle with, you know, driving the van up there to start the tour with Radiohead. But like stuff like that only happened because I was putting myself out there and I was like, I will do anything I want to experience the world. I want to, you know, I want to be a part of, of whatever special things that are happening because I, that's why I moved here and did everything. You know, your drive and ambition is fucking impressive. It's yeah. I mean, I got out of bed today. <laughs> I, through therapy, I've figured out that part of that driving ambition is is actually OCD, which is awesome because I realized <laughs> it's like my superpower in a lot of ways. Um, so, but I, you know, I'm just like very obsessive about things. When I put my head to something, I never half-ass it. I just yeah, I, but that's also passion. I mean, you clearly yeah. are pa- very passionate about what you're doing. Yeah, it's true. And then this, I mean, songwriting is. I, I could geek out and just talk about something all day just because it's such a, an amazing subjective fluid art form that is constantly eating, eating into each other and constantly creating things. And that's what, you know, that's what cuffed up is cuffed up is this like amalgamy of so many music influences that no one will ever understand. And, you know, you have four very distinct filters of, music a thousand two thousand three thousand hours of music listening that's turned into this band so it's it's really cool to see that yeah i'm i'm fascinated i i mean i i have a minimal understanding of like the technical aspects of music i'm fucking an avid listener like i listen to everything and i'm like always like but that's it because i heard these guys granted they were like an 80s cover band but they're like yeah it's all been done they were like sitting at a bar i was working at and they're like it's all been done it's all and i was like that is the laziest like bullshit thought I've cause it's like, it's not all been done. There's music wow. is like, especially now with the internet and where you kids are listening to fucking everything. And then that's becoming an influence. Unlike ever before. I'm like, what is about to come in the years is going to be pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, that's why, that's why music right now is so, so amazing to just kind of like sit down and listen to and watch because the kids have, they don't have to crate dig anymore. They literally have, they have everything to at their fingertips. I mean, even like, even like a company like splice, I literally was like, Oh, I need some funk drums. I will have within two minutes, I'll have my fingertips at like the best sounding funk drums that I could have on this planet. And I don't need to go out and try to, you know, sample it from a, you know, from a, 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 some sort of record or whatever, like the kids, kids have access to everything and all types of music and every genre of music. And it's, it's awesome to see what's coming, coming yeah. out. Sometimes that mix of genres gives us things like Limp Biscuit, but other than that, it's pretty, yeah. <laughs> I just, I only brought them up cause I watched that Woodstock thing and I, the, 99. Oh yeah, it's fucking disturbing, man. Yeah. I had to not... clean my palate with the uh, summer of soul, which is pretty, have you seen that? Yes, yes, Questlove. That that uh, it's so cool that that was his first like directing um, thing that he's worked on. But it's such a great doc. It's really inspiring. I had no fucking idea Stevie Wonder not only could play drums but could play drums fucking like that. Stevie, when he started playing drums in that clip, I was like, "Shut the fuck up! <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding?" It's- and yeah, it's crazy. So crazy. That, I love the documentary though. It's it's brilliant doc. Yeah, it was. It, 
I don't know. It's like, it's great to see like a documentary that's also, it's just like, I felt so good. I couldn't sleep afterwards because I was just like inspired and I should have wrote music. I should have learned how to do that. (laughs) I mean, the fifth dimension, their whole, their whole part of that um, documentary like broke my heart because they were talking about how everyone thought that they were white. Yeah. How they had to like come out and play. And even when they played, everyone was like, whoa, they're, they're black <laughs> and like trying to, and, and like you could tell by the, the folks from the actual group that they were interviewing that, you know, it was an emotional time for them to be accepted and how that festival played into them being accepted. But like hearing that all that music again, just like, that's the type of music I, I love and, you know, cuffed up, believe it or not, most of the songs that we're writing now are influenced by like R and B and soul. I love, I love R&B and soul. It's like probably my favorite genre on the planet. Do you see the, that the sound of your band evolving? Like, is that something you actively are seeking? Like, cause I mean, you certainly have your sound, but like, and I was yeah. curious, like how that happens. Is that how organic and that is and, or how much of a decision that is from an artist? Yeah. I, it's, it's always evolving depending on what you're listening to, you know, and and what, what excites you. I feel like that's definitely where you're trying to catch like lightning in a bottle. Um, but yeah, it's conscious. I, I feel like it's a conscious decision. Um, especially now, like the EP that we're, you know, or at least the, the group of music that we're putting out, like there's, there's, it's going to sound every song that comes out is going to sound a little bit different. And that's why I love about it because, you know, this first song that came out is, 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 is like a straightforward kind of like, early nineties rock post-punk kind of thing genre kind of mixed with a lot of things. But the second one sounds to me what, you know, I love the Pixies and that was the song that came out of me listening to just so much of the Pixies for like a month straight. And, you know, like (laughs) I could tell, I could tell what the influences are for every single song that comes out. Um, but the cool thing, you know, the way that I trust this, the way that I trust that our voice is going to be still, you know, it's, it'll it'll sound the same is that, um, is what Paul McCartney said in the new documentary. I'm not sure if you've seen that with Rick Rubin getting through it. I haven't been able to, but yeah, it's great. Also great. Yeah. He said at the end of the first episode, Rick Rubin's like, the Beatles could play, it could be a reggae band, but they're always sound like the Beatles. And then And then uh, Paul McCartney's like, that's what I love about music. It's like a you have a unique filter, and uh, everything that's influenced you is gonna you know give you this distinct voice. And however that you are influenced, it's gonna come out sounding like you. And yeah, that's great. What's also amazing about that those two episodes too is like you think you know everything there is to know about the Beatles because it's just been omnipresent for. And you're I'm like, holy fuck! I never thought of that or saw that or heard that. It's like in, insane. Yeah, it's. I mean, this is probably my face, my favorite doc series I've seen um, because of everything you learn. You're learning, and um, and it makes me feel good about my songwriting because I'm not. I'm not like. I'm not like a classically trained guitar player, or musician. I know, you know, I know the basics, but um, and Sapphire in our band, you know, like she's a classically trained jazz guitarist. Like she's wow. she she shreds. Like she's in one of the best guitar players have ever seen on this planet but we we bring like this really cool <laughs> dynamic where i'm writing i'm writing from a place kind of like where paul mccartney was where he says you know some uh, guy at a uh, at a guitar shop taught me a chord i don't know till this day i don't know what that's <laughs> called i don't know what it's called but it sounded great and i wrote 10 songs from it and five of the songs are like some of the best songs of all time really that's insane and a lot of what he experienced is just like yeah this sounds good if you lift the thing and i was like that's how i write that's that makes me feel really good to to see that because i'm i'm writing from more of like a muse creative muse kind of thing where you kind of you're pulling stuff from the ether and something amazing happens and then it just happens you know and you're just like you know trying to encapsulate that into your own words and your own your own you know like approach to it yeah when you when you write, do you sit down and write or do you sort of wait for like a moment of inspiration? How do you, or is it a combo? It's always, it's always, it's interesting to me because it's so different for so many people. Yeah. It's, it's different every single time. Sometimes I'll, um, sometimes I'll, I'll be watching something. Uh, I was watching another documentary. This is pop, the one on Netflix. And um, you should, 
yeah, you should check it out. It's great. It's fantastic. Um, but they have an episode called uh, about the Brill Building in New York, which was, if you know about yeah. it, yeah, it's a legendary place where all these amazing artists and writers and artist writers like wrote these big hits and it was kind of, it was a nine to five job. Right. So you show up and you, you check in and write all day and then you check out and, uh, halfway through, I got so inspired. I was like, wow, that is, that's magic. That's really magic. And they put in the work on stuff. And so I turned around and grabbed my guitar, which is uh, my acoustic guitar I have over here. I write all my songs from it and I just picked it up. And then I started playing a riff and I was like, that sounds really good. And then I start, I start kind of reversing the process and being like, okay, why does it sound good? And then I start listening. I was like, okay, it's in this key. That key's very popular. That makes sense. Okay, great. And then we go from there and then I just start, you know, and then I wrote the song within like an hour, just like beginning the end. Um, and I brought it back to the band and then we all turned it into a cuffed up song. But, um, so there's moments like that, where that, that, that'll happen where it's kind of like a strike of, you know, of, of some sort of lightning, but, and then, uh, and then there'll be moments where I'll sit down and just try to write. But to be honest, about 90% of the time I fail on that. If I'm, it's almost feels like, uh, it almost feels like a chore or like homework. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you got to be inspired. I, I, I don't feel inspired, but other people, I know plenty of people who, you know, uh, plenty of my writers and producers who I work with that, um, on the publishing side, they do sessions every day and they, they turn out like the most amazing things. And, you know, so I feel like everyone's different. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like I'm always amazed by like people who write specifically for a film or something. They're like, we need a song about cars chasing a rainbow whatever the fuck you know like what and i'm like and somebody's like so i wrote a song and i'm like how do you do that like that seems like i know there's skill and training but it still seems insane to me yeah it does especially when you're coming from it like if you're you know if you're uh if you're jackson brown and you're like you need to write a song about um, fast and the furious nine. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know how to, what are you talking about? I only know how to write a certain type of music. I can't do that, but that's why some people are, you know, built to built to be able to make those briefs work. You know, they're called briefs and they, um, but certain, certain musicians are just artists strictly. You know? Yeah. I'm interested in the, the Brillstein cause the Brill building, I almost said Brillstein you know, Brillstein and Gray, but like, because it's like, that is, it was a nine to five. And like, I know I'm a big Harry Nelson fan, like just, but yeah. I, just that, like, I don't know, like, is that also, cause I had a friend who wrote for Conan for like 10 years and he's like, our whole life we talked about like never working in an office. Yeah. And he's like, in the end, this is a great job, but it's an office job. And I was like, oh, there's that, even that felt like constrictive and not freeing and like art, artistic. It and it's, it's, yeah it's interesting because it's not what you go into as an artist. You're like, I'm going to get an office job. <laughs> who, who is your friend that wrote? He Conan? wrote for more in the Conan nine, uh, NBC years in New York. His name is Kevin Dorf. He was coked up. Uh, oh yeah. Coked up. Yeah. Coked up werewolf. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Dorf. And, um, and then uh, I, Brian Stack is another friend of mine. I love Brian Stack. He's like, he's probably arguably the nicest person on this planet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least, at least in my experiences with him, I have a, I posted a photo of him actually doing a throwback with Conan, um, because the, the Conan show ended, um, of where he was playing some sort of greaser type person. And he, I took a photo of him when he was backstage. He's such <laughs> he was a crazy. funny dude. We, I, I know all those guys and like Richter from Chicago, from doing stuff in Chicago. Oh, cool. And, awesome. uh, but like stack, it was just, he was like, Jordan like at any time like things weren't going well he would just come in and like fucking slam dunk with like a huge laugh and like save everything like it was like you you could just count on him it wasn't like ever a question that he wasn't gonna come in and just fucking clean it up <laughs> I know he I mean that which is why it's he's it's great that he's on Colbert now um he is so crazy though he uh there isn't I forgot there he played so many characters sometimes on the show and I would, and they'd be just the funniest characters and be like, I, I know that he ended up writing that. Yeah. <laughs> like, I like his, like the Bing Crosby type ghost character where it's just so awful. Like everything he says is awful, but it's just like, he, it's just, he's fucking funny. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, that's cool. So cool that you guys are friends. 
Yeah, I I'm not I'm in touch with him just mostly Twitter. We'll just go on weird music back and forth things. We had one the other day about the Who or Keith nice. Moon specifically. <laughs> Favorite drummer of all time. You know what's yeah. great is like cuz we he, somebody posted a clip of them a film of them recording Who Are You? Oh yeah. And I was just like so Keith Moon was so engaging. Like it was just like he was stealing the show. And it was like incredible and just being hilarious. And then I was like researching him a little bit because I do that even if dead guys that I'm not going to have on the show. (laughs) (laughs) But like he hated drum solos. He was like, he refused to do it. I'm like, because rock drum solos fucking suck. Right. If that ever comes back, I'm going to be really bummed out. I I don't think it's come back. I think it's... (laughs) It doesn't feel like it's coming back, at least. <laughs> to me, all that says to the stadium of people who would be at any show that has a drum solo is time to piss and get a beer. Like, that's right. all that is. It's intermission. Uh, you know what? There is one person that does drum solos, and um, it's fine. I actually don't mind it um, because I, I did get a chance to go to the bathroom. But um, <laughs> it's tra- Travis Barker. <laughs> he does drum solos during Blink-182 shows. Um, oh, he's like, I've, he's like, uh, he's a monster though. Yeah, exactly. So that's why like, he's fine. I think he's the most qualified to do it. So it's great that he does it, but anyone else, I don't think it's, yeah, I don't mind it like, uh, in a g- jazz setting. Right, right, right. But I, I do want a record cause I'm like, kind of, man, I'm trying to fucking like cook or whatever. I don't need it. <laughs> it's like, I already have a lot of anxiety in life, man. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't do the scale, bro. <laughs> Did you write the song Canaries? Uh, me and Sapphire. Yeah, because I was interested because I was reading in the press release about how it's about knowing you're making the wrong decision and it's like shame based. Like it, I don't know. Were you were you intentionally talking to an Irish Catholic from Chicago? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. To be honest, uh, you know, Sapphire actually started the song. Um, well, I came up with the instrumental and then she started writing the, the verse, which is the main, you know, the encompassing like idea for the song and her idea. She's very, she's very visual. So like the idea of like, I think canaries, like the actual canaries going in a coal mine and being like kind of the sadly, like the way to see if something's safe or not, um, was the impetus to the whole thing. And then, uh, shame. I mean, shame it's it's like it's such a heavy thing on us and we were talking about that at some point too where we're like you know it it could be about anything it could be the smallest amount of shame but like that thing could be so heavy and um and most most of us including obviously the irish catholics you know push it down (laughs) you push it down so you don't feel it you just kind of ignore it until it's um until it's uh and that's why sapphire's lyrics you know like the weight of stones, it just makes so much sense. It's just like, and it gets heavier and heavier. Um, you know, and that's why I'll, in the chorus I write down, you know, I try to compliment that and I say, uh, don't settle down, don't compromise. Like, and the problem is most of the time, that's how unhappy marriages happen. That's how, um, toxic like relationships happen. That's how unhappy families end up in places because people ignore these really heavy weights and um and it's something to i think it's something still to address till this day because you know mental health is so important to the rest of us and and the band and um and whenever we get a chance to we always kind of write about that i I think the rest of the songs that we're putting out are all about something mental health related so (laughs) i I can i mean that's a personal thing with me as well my i mean like dealing with it and just like it's a, it's infuriating to me how little yeah. resources there are to people who need help. And if we had that, it would change so many dynamics of what's unhealthy in our society. Like yeah. men being aggressive towards women a lot of times yeah. is based in like not being able to pick up signal, like just so many fucking things. And it's like, why are, why, why do we allow, we, our society actively chooses to allow people to suffer. Yeah. And it's the system, the system lets you hide and lets you just kind of, you know, and, th- and that's the, that's the biggest thing that we're trying to write about in the band. A lot of the times is like, it's okay to feel this way. It's okay to feel emotional. You need to be vulnerable. If you don't learn to be vulnerable, then, you know, it's going to bite you in the ass. <laughs> that's great. I mean, do you, have you gotten feedback from people who listen to your music about that at all? 
Yeah. 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 And, and people notice that. And it's like, um, I think the first time that we got some sort of feedback about that was this song called danger, danger from the first, um, from the first record or first EP that we did. Um, and then another song called French exit, which is, uh, a song Sapphire wrote too. And, and that's literally all about, you know, all about mental health and people pick it out and it's great. And I, I'm hoping there's a song that's coming out. I can't talk about it. That is so it's, it's, it was my catharsis of me starting therapy and working on something very specific. And I wrote a song about it just to remind myself. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) every time we play this song, it's going to be my reminder of like where I started and how bad it was and how I've, I've really come on the other side and how everyone else needs to hear about this because it's possible to do that. Not to go into the details of what that was, but the creative process of sort of, how was that to go sort of sift through creatively and have to like, I don't know, relive or focus on that again. Was that, how was that? Uh, it's painful. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely painful. I mean, it's therapy. So, you know, a lot of emotional hours of just talking about it. Um, and specifically, specifically it's about my, my, um, OCD that's tied to, um, health. I think it's called health OCD is what it's called. So, um, my whole thing is like, if, if, uh, you know, if I'm going to write a song about this, I really need to lean into it. And that's what I did. So I, I really, you know, spoke to my, spoke to my therapist, who's the best. And, um, I, and she works a lot with artists and I'm like, I'm going to write a song about this. So just tear me apart. Like, let's, let's just like work on this and like try to open this up. And, uh, and I, it almost, it was kind of like a nice little excuse to, to get that process going. So by the time I finally figured it out and worked on it, I was able to kind of like come back, sit down, gather my thoughts. I write in, I, I physically write in, in a, a journal, uh, all the lyrics. So I wrote, I started writing down some of the lyrics and then, and then, uh, yeah. And then I finally <laughs> came up with the, the really resonating chorus and, and the really personal verses. How did it feel once you got to the other side of the song? Did you feel like you had a different or like writing the song? did you feel like you had a different perspective on those issues and did it help cleanse and what does the fucking word I'm looking for? <laughs> um, <give> me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Cathartic catharsis. Yeah. It, and it was purely catharsis. So, uh, when I finished the song and I brought it to the band and I, I told them, I was like, this is a very heavy song. <laughs> it's like, it's, a, but it sounds, it doesn't sound heavy. It sounds like a very, you know, it's a very catchy kind of song, but I, I told them like the lyrics are very heavy and they're very personal to me. This is the most personal song. And you know how that happened was that Sapphire actually pushed me. And this is, this is why being in a band is so beautiful. Cause we actually get to influence each other to be, to push each other, become, become even better at what we're doing. And she was like, you need to be more vulnerable in your songs fuck you're right <laughs> I, I, I do I, I i want to be more vulnerable so that was my first try of 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 being as vulnerable as i can and that led to you know last year that led to us hunkering down getting our own rehearsal space and writing constantly for like a whole year and demoing out so you know um terminal was uh well the the start of a lot of what we ended up doing that year is you know, all started because Sapphire challenged me to, <laughs> that's a good partner to have like somebody who does that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why Sapphire, I think she's like, I, it, I told her this before, like she's kind of like my musical soulmate in a lot of ways because we complement each other so well in a lot in, in these ways that I, I think we've been searching for this entire time. So that's why when we first met each other, I think we, we kind of knew that there was this kind of uh special, um, the special spark that happens between both of us when we both collaborate on something. And, um, it looks like it's worked. (laughs) (laughs) Do you, do you ever get together solely to write or is it always bring something into the, an individual brings in something from, for the group? Um, it's usually the latter. Yeah. Because uh, we tend, at least for me and Sapphire, we, we love, you know, working things out in the room and like kind of gelling everything. And then Joe and Vic are there and just everything, it starts to form into like the actual full picture. Um, but actually writing like lyrics and stuff, um, 
it tends to be like a very personal thing. So it's more of a football. So me and Sapphire will pass the football to each other and, and be like, okay, I'll write this. You'll write this. Like, let's, let's try to try to iron these parts out and then we'll bring it in together and see if they, they match up. Was it scary to bring that song in to be because, or were you comfortable? Yeah, it was hard. It was, yeah, it was scary. Yeah, definitely. But at the same time, I knew that it was a challenge from Sapphire. So (laughs) I was like, I was also, you know, it's like coming in and you did the homework and you're really proud and you're really proud in the, uh, the essay that you wrote. So you're like, okay, I'm going to come in and I'm going to get this gold star. And so I, you know, I played it and then, you know, it seems like they liked it. So (laughs) I was like, great. I'm, I'm happy about that. That's it's something I never thought of or asked before. It's like that dynamic of like, cause when I was in groups and we'd bring stuff in, there was always a, there's sort of a set of rules depending like on how, not rules, but like ways that we approached everything to, to build not, and not be like, right. fuck that or something. Do you, right. does the, uh, your band have sort of a sort of a approach that you worked when somebody brings something in? Like we got to do that. We have these approaches we take to it. Yeah. I mean, the, the general approach is, okay, so what's missing in it? <laughs> like <laughs> missing. Okay. And then we, and then we start kind of, you know, filling in the gaps with, um, what might need to be added onto. So for example, like when I bring in stuff, I don't have a lead guitar part on it. So naturally Sapphire will start working on a lead guitar part and it'll elevate the song. And then, um, not half the time I'll have, uh, I'm obsessed with drums. So half the time I'll have drums set into it. Um, songs, m- all my songs start off with drums for the most part. Um, but then, you know, Joe is, Joe is a insane drummer that is doing, I mean, he takes, he still takes lessons and like works on his technique and he's just like this monster, but bring it in. And then I hear him play it and I'm like, sounds even better, but like you could even, you know, and then he'll bring it into an even more better space than I could have ever, you know, tried to do on logic or whatever. And, um, so it's, it's cool. We, we're all, it's a very complimentary, um, process where it's, it's not like we're coming in and, and we're just, it's a competition of like, Oh, who has the best song, whatever. It's like, no, you bring it in. If we like it, it's great. And then everyone passionately just works on making it the best version that it could be. Is there an, uh, you, has you ever, have you ever brought in anything where people were like, mm. like yeah, I, <laughs> I'm just curious. Cause it's, it's such a fragile way to, ad- to address something like that as a group and, and to be that individual. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, you're, there's a, there's a certain level of ego sacrifice that you're, you're definitely playing into when you bring in a song that everyone doesn't like. There's one in particular that I really love that I've been trying to push. And, um, we even brought it on a writing trip last year and it, and it just couldn't crack it. Uh, it just didn't make sense for everyone. And I was like, okay, it's fine. I'm just going to keep it kind of in the back burner. Um, but you know, again, it's, it's, every, everyone needs to be excited about the song. If you're the only one excited about the song, then you're not, you're not really a band at that point. So. Right. That's something that could come back. To, Cause like I talked to Bill McKay, actually that episode came out today, but he had a thing, part of a song in his head for 12 years and he couldn't wow. figure it out. And then one day the other part came, <laughs> it's just like, ah, I know that's, that's, that's so wild to me. It's, but it's true though. It's a, it's a hundred percent true. I mean, with small town kid and French exit, I had those parts written in March and April, 2018, but I, I, I didn't, I didn't know what else to write. I, that was it. Like, I don't know how to elevate these things. And then when I met Sapphire and she wrote the lead part to French exit, I was like, Holy shit. <laughs> like right. that, that's what's missing. Like in my head, I was like, that's exactly what's missing or the parts that she put in small town kid. I was like, that made the biggest difference in the world. And I could have never have come up with that. And that's why, you know, that's why it's such a privilege to be in a band where, you know, people are very, very complimentary and talented and have the chops and, and especially with Sapphire being, you know, like a really, really insane guitar player. All right. Well, I thank you so much for your time, man. I I hope I bump into you around the town. I'm sure I will. Yeah, please. And uh, when we announce some any shows and stuff, definitely let us know if you want to come out. I would um, love to. I would love to. Because 
uh, we'd like to sh- we'll like to show you the live set. Then you enjoy it. I would I would love that very much. Awesome. Well, it was really great speaking to you, Matt. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening to Conversations with The Wire. Please become a Patreon subscriber. If you like, also subscribe to the show on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or themattdwyer.com or Conversations with The Wire at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening.